If you have any doubts about the affection God feels toward you, even when you sin against him, don't miss today's episode. But what if you do understand God's love? In fact, you understand it so much, you have a hard time fearing God. If that's you, don't miss today's episode. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. God is on your side. He's for you. He's not against you. That's observation number one. That comes from verse 13. The other three come from verse 12. So let's back up to verse 12. Look how he starts out there in verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends. Now, let's, let's not skip over that phrase. That's not a throwaway phrase. That is Paul expressing affection to the Philippians, uh, which he does many times in this book. Very affectionate, very profuse in Philippians. And it's important to understand that when Paul does that, Paul is writing here as an apostle of whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. You know what an apostle is? apostle is a sent one, somebody who's sent with a message. When Paul writes these letters, he's, he's speaking for the Lord. So his affections in these letters reflect what the Lord himself is feeling. The reason Jesus' apostle feels this way towards those people is because Jesus feels this way towards the people. And so you can take this, the warmth of these words, therefore, my dear friends... You can take that as coming from the heart of God himself to you. He calls you friend. God calls you friend. The word friend here is agapetos, beloved. Beloved. And that's the same word that God uses that word to describe all the saints. Lest you think, well, it's just the Philippian superstars. No, it's it's anybody who's a believer. Anybody who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and so is therefore a child of God, he calls... A beloved, Romans 1, 7. To all in Rome who are God's beloved, same word, and called to be saints. Everyone who's a saint is beloved by God, his friend. Ephesians 5, 1 calls us God's beloved children. We are God's beloved children uh, whom he, he, he chose and he dearly loves. Psalm 103, 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He, he understands that you're dust. The next verse goes on to say, He knows how you're formed. He knows your weaknesses. He understands your child. It's like a father understanding. A father of a two-year-old does not expect that two-year-old to, to behave with the maturity of a ten-year-old. He just doesn't expect that. And God's like that. That's what this verse is saying. He understands where you're at. He knows your weaknesses. He knows how hard it is for you. So, God is on your side. His heart towards you is um, that he thinks of you as a dear friend and a, and a beloved child and, um, and, and, and that's why he's nurturing you like a, like a plant in his garden. Those are the first two. Now the third observation is the rest of this phrase. He says, um, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Now that's a remarkable statement, isn't it? They've always obeyed. Always This church has been there for 12 years. Uh, For 12 years, they've just been uh, obeying. That's that's God's assessment of them. That's God's classification of them in heaven. If you go up in heaven and you look at their profile, uh, you look up their profile in heaven and and, and uh, there's a checkbox that says obeyers, disobeyers, obeyers. This is what it looks like. There's a profile in heaven right there. Okay? 
Obeyers is check. You say, well, what, 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 about, what about their disobedience? What about all the times when they rebelled? What about the fact that this church obviously has problems with disunity and pride and selfishness and fighting and all this stuff? I mean, what, what about all the st- times when they disobey God? And here's the answer. We, and we don't have time to go into it in detail, but this is all in 1 John 1. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you repent, when you disobey, you repent, God accepts your disobedience. He forgives you and He accepts your disobedience and repentance as a life of obedience. He accepts your life of repentance as a life of obedience. That's the way God thinks. Because when, he, when you repent, He forgives and it's blotted out, right? Wiped out, off the record. So the only things that are that register on your profile up in heaven are your acts of obedience. That's it. So if you've been striving to live in obedience every day, in every area, if that's your life, you're just like, I want to obey in every area. But, but, I, but, I, but then I fall, and when I, when I fall, when I disobey, I repent. If that's you, and you've been doing that for the last 12 years, then guess what? You have got, uh, uh, the way that God looks at it, you have established a 12-year track record of obedience. This is, this is your profile. Obey her. He looks down, obey her. And so Paul, God, any emissary speaking for Christ, would say the same thing to you that Paul said to them, just as you have always obeyed all these past dozen years, keep it up. Just keep it up. Which is the message of verse 12. See, God, God's not a hard master. He's not a hard master. And another thing about God, a fourth observation. He sees your secret righteousness. Look at verse 12 again. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now, this is the second time Paul has mentioned that in this book. Again, there's significance here. So God has his spokesman come and, and praise them for the fact that they kept obeying even after Paul left. Obviously, they're going to be on their best behavior when the Apostle Paul is there, right? Apostle Paul's here. We're not going to be having fights and problems and you know all this stuff. Uh, but what happens when he leaves? Character is always revealed uh, by what you do when you're on your own, right? When, you, when you're just in private. Our, our behavior is determined by two things, by external pressure and by internal principle. So, so if you do what's right only because of external pressure, then what's going to happen when the external pressure is removed? Just start doing wrong because you don't have that internal principle. This happens all the time. Somebody agrees to, uh, you know, some accountability, and so they got an accountability partner calling them every day and checking it. And the whole time that's going on, the whole time there's all the scrutiny. Then they're they're walking the straight and narrow. As soon as that's lifted, they're right back into their sin. Um, they can't keep it because there's no internal uh, uh, pressure to do what's right. It's all external. But the Philippians weren't like that. They had internal principle. Paul left. They obeyed even more. And, and that's real character, and he praises them for that. Even though, even though they're struggling in the area of unity, and, and they've got these problems, God is still pleased with the fact that, man, they had a good response. Even when the apostle left, they stayed on track. They kept on striving to obey. And it mattered to God that they were doing that when Paul was gone. It mattered to him. See, because God keeps track of your secret obedience and your secret righteousness. Did you know that? 
Those moments when you resist a temptation, you just have this tempting thought and you just resist it. Nobody knows about it. God knows. He saw that and, and he takes note. He won't forget. God is, you know, some people think God is, all he's doing is watching for you when you do something wrong. He's just watching for your mistake. <laughs> he's watching for you to do things right. Do you know that? He's watching for everything you do right. And you are going to be rewarded on Judgment Day for millions of things that you did that you've just completely forgotten about. He's like, what? I did that? When did I do that? And, and, and he's going to say, yeah, no, I didn't forget. Hebrews says that. God won't forget what you've done, the good things that you've done. He pays attention to this. This is his attitude. This is describing God's attitude towards you. Such a beautiful passage of Scripture. Now, you might be thinking, if you were here last week, you might be thinking, well, what about all that fear and trembling stuff? <laughs> you better obey and work your salvation with fear and trembling. And I know that's an issue for a lot of people because, because, of, because some, some of you, your upbringing was just... You can't think, when you think of fear and trembling in connection with a father figure, you can't think of anything other than an abusive, easily irritated, harsh father that you don't want to go near him. And it's just, that's what fear and trembling means to you in relationship to a father. You can't change that, that, that perception. That's not what this is talking about. This is not that kind of fear. This is healthy fear. This is fear that makes you want to draw near God. This is fear, that, not that God is going to do something bad, but it's, it's a fear that puts you on alert to the consequences of sin. It's a fear that puts, you, that, that puts you on guard, lest you stumble and lose your joy, lest you, you offend someone you supremely love. A fear of that. It's a fear that, that, that you might violate your testimony to an unbelieving world. A fear that you might undermine your own effectiveness in ministry. You picture a kid who tells uh, his father, he's talking to his dad, and his dad's like, okay, you can borrow the car, but I want you home by 9 o'clock sharp. And, uh, and the kid's she's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll be home when I please. And he walks out. Okay, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> That's a kid who has no fear of his father, right? No respect. He's not, he doesn't, he's in, he's not taking his dad seriously at all. That's not a good relationship. The, 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 the ideal relationship between a kid and his dad is the kid wants to be near his dad, right? He loves his dad. But if his dad starts a sentence with, you had better, he's got that kid's attention, right? If dad is starting a sentence with, you had better, you know, then, okay, I'm listening. The kind of thing where dad can look at him across the room with a look, it's like, and, and, and he stops messing around just like that, okay? And yet... He loves being with his dad. And you can see him wrestling on the floor with his dad. And he's, he just longs to be close to him. This is what this kind of fear is like. Psalm 128. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Happy. Happy are those who fear the Lord. This is the kind of fear that brings happiness into your life. So remember these things. When you get discouraged and you feel overwhelmed... Remember, look, if God is on my side, 
He's nurturing me like a flower. He calls me friend. He thinks of me as an obeyer just because I repent when I sin. And he's pleased with every last one of my good deeds. He likes that and he's keeping track of that. He's got an attitude uh, like that towards me and he's working in me to will and to act. If that's all true, I can expect great things. I can do great things. Are there any areas of godliness in your life that are overly dependent on external pressure? Where you're lacking that internal principle or where your conscience is weak and doesn't have much of a reaction to the sin if nobody knows about it? One way to work on that is by increasing your fear of the Lord. And part of that is giving serious thought to God's discipline. Use your imagination to daydream about what God's chastisement might feel like, and imagine yourself responding with strong emotions. Doing that changes the physical structure of your brain to make it easier for your heart to really believe God's discipline is real. So that's one way, but that's not all there is to it. The reverence aspect and the awe aspect are also crucial. If you've never read R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, or listen to a sermon series on that, I highly recommend that. In fact, I don't really know of any book outside of the Bible I would recommend more highly. And if you have read it or listened, again, I would urge you to take some time today to use your imagination to daydream about that awesome holiness and think about that in connection with the sin that your heart tends to take lightly. Father, you gave me the ability to imagine for a reason. Help me transport myself right now into that scene in Daniel 7 when thrones were set in place. Let me feel right now some of the awe of seeing those thrones and the awesome powers of the heavens right there in that space. Then, I see them all draw a sharp breath when you, the Ancient of Days, take your seat. Your clothing white as snow, the hair of your head white like wool, infinite wisdom and perfect moral purity. My face feels like it's about to melt because your throne is flaming with fire. Its wheels are all ablaze and a river of fire is flowing, coming out from before you. Rapids of flame crashing with thunderous heat as the river crashes by me. Thousands upon thousands of mighty angels, awesome cherubs, flaming seraphs, rulers, powers, spiritual forces of all kinds are attending you. 10,000 times 10,000 standing at attention before you. Then, at the movement of your hand, the court is seated. For a moment, there's the noise of all those rulers sitting down, and then silence, dead silence. You motion again, and the books are opened. I dare to peek and I see my name in one of the books. I see the record of my boastful, arrogant attitudes when I 
casually disobeyed without any fear of you. I see those awesome powers trembling in your presence and astonished at how puny creatures like me could be so arrogant. Then I watched as you stripped rebellious powers of their authority. Some you threw into blazing fire, others you allowed to live for a time. Then a son of man came with the clouds of heaven. He approached you, the Ancient of Days, and was led into your presence. You gave him authority, glory, and sovereign power so all peoples, nations, and men of every language would worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Lord, make this vision come alive in my imagination today, that I might fear you. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.